Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Hey, who are you grieving with today, and how are you grieving today with those who grieve? Um, We comfort others with the comfort with which we've been comforted, and so I certainly hope you know the comfort of Christ today. Um, Grief is real. Grief has all kinds of consequences, Um, and certainly as we continue to grieve with the people of Maui and all of those affected by this tremendous event. It defies description. If you haven't seen pictures or videos, it does defy description. And one of the things that you may or may not hear people talking about um, are the challenges of people who have survived Um, because they are breathing very toxic, dust-filled air. Um, And it's still very hot. Um, And there are still, it's still a crime scene. Like, um, that's a hard way to think about this huge portion of a city. Um, but it's a crime scene. They are still actively looking for evidence of um, people who died in the fires. And so um, let us be grieving today with those who grieve. Let us be supplying for their physical needs as we are able. Let's certainly be um, prayerfully and financially supporting those who are on the front lines of response um, and and acknowledging um, that even as all of this is happening in in Maui and we have our collective attention focused in this direction, um, tragic things are happening uh, in in the lives of people right around us and in our own lives. And so um, I'm thinking about the families in Mississippi. Um, there are there are two black men who, have been um, f- under false arrest for a period of time and and actually incarcerated. Um, and what it was behind it was six former Mississippi law enforcement officers who have now been uh, arrested and arraigned um, who set these men up after having uh, tortured them. And it is a story that is unfolding in the southeastern portion of the United States that has grievous consequences in not only that community, but um, but in our collective community as well. Today marks two years since the United States withdrew from Afghanistan. Afghan girls and women have um, faced an increasing slew of restrictions 
during the Taliban's second year in power. Um, and the Gold Star families of those 13 service members who lost their lives at the Abbey Gate um, during during the chaos um, of the U.S. withdrawal, um, grieve especially today, and we grieve with them. Um, there are people in India um, suffering greatly right now um, as there are mudslides caused by flash floods in the northern Himalayan region of the country. Um, there, there are... There are families in Pennsylvania in a little town called Plum where one house exploded and that led to the explosion of two other houses nearby. Um, there are five confirmed dead uh, in, in, in what I really just can't even hardly imagine is happening. Um, and, and, and the list goes on. If you're like me, um, you, you know people who have lost people they love just in the last few days. And so let's be grieving with those who grieve today. Let's be comforting one another with the comfort with which we've been comforted. Let's be Christ today. Let's put some skin on it. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Our friend, Dr. Brett Nix, is back from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. You can find them at cmda.org. Good morning, Brett. Good morning, Carmen. I'm so happy to be back. It's been a little while. I know. It has been a little while. Has it been a good summer? It has been a very interesting summer, yes. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> it's been uh, not as relaxing as one might like and some, some curveballs thrown my way. But nonetheless, uh, I am vertical and happy to be here. In the, uh, uh, you know, in the selfish category, um, I think I have poison ivy. And so, you know, that's no fun. <laughs> um, I, I thought I had escaped the effects of it over the course of a summer, but you know, I live in the woods, so it's never a surprise when, you know, but, the, but there you go. Um, all right. Uh, COVID COVID uh, we talk about it no longer being a pandemic. It's now endemic. So it has a new variety swirling around. Give us the update on COVID. Yeah. You know, I mean, COVID is like any virus. It's going to be with us and we will see continued variants. In the news, you hear about this issue related to EG5, which is another variant of the Omicron. And here, as of late, we see a little bit more. Even in, in uh, the emergency department where I work, I do see a little bit of a small uptick of those that have COVID presenting. You know, in the news right now, you see a large number of people in South Korea having this episode with this EG5. Again, what do we need to know? COVID's not going away, number one. Number two, as we enter into school season and then we enter into the fall, we start getting ready for our typical viral season. We see viruses because of schools. We will see influenza like we see each year with the flu. <clears throat> and again, we will see COVID in this mix. The same things hold true as it relates, which is hand hygiene and normal precautions should always be good. We should always be washing our hands and be mindful of touching our faces. Uh, what, what we do see about this current COVID one is not as uh, detrimental to most individuals. We're not seeing the high level of illness that we saw back uh, with Delta and some of the others that we saw back uh, a good year plus. Uh, but we do see a small uptick. The numbers aren't profound. It's not affecting our health systems at this point in time. Uh, but it's just going to be something we're going to have to keep an eye on. Um, 
I, I just, yeah, I'm just sort of living with it. We've sort of arrived at the living with it stage like we do with the flu or with colds. And so we're going to take those kinds of precautions. Um, air pollution and antibiotic resistance. So when we talk about air pollution. A lot of us have been breathing um, air this summer in particular that is um, smoky um, and and even if it's just barely hazy where we live, um, there are still particles or particulates in the air that we're not really cognizant of. There's a relationship here between air pollution and antibiotic resistance. Can you talk about that? Yeah, it's an interesting one. And, you know, as you said, you said in the uh, the opening, you know, my heart is heavy with uh, the folks in Maui mm-hmm. because thinking about the air pollution, the particles they're dealing with. You know, a little over a year ago, my family and I were actually in Lahaina Town. And so I can vividly imagine what it was when I was there. And I can see the devastation in the images that are shown on the media today. And, you know, so my heart is heavy for them. And, you know, this study goes along in parallels with some of the things that they're dealing with. Many of those who have navigated the wildfires from Canada that bring down the pollutants. You know, it's interesting. There's a study, and I think it's probably not quite an association, but it begs the question. Uh, the study was simply stating that, hey, we have an issue with air pollution. And in these areas where we're studying this air pollution, we're finding about uh, maybe perhaps an association where 10 percent or more of the antibiotic resistance is being driven because of these pollutants. So we have to take a step back and I'll kind of distill it down as how I see it. And I think how med- medicine will, will address this issue as well, which is we have this thing we call particle pollution. So those are the things in the air. It is related to the solid and the liquid droplets that are in the air. Now, if you remember back, you know, back in the 70s, you can imagine pictures of those of us who were alive that saw it or those who have seen it, the yellow and orange skies of Los Angeles and all the particles, whether this be coal, whether this be from factories, all of the things. And now, of course, these wildfires, all of this stuff creates particle pollution. Particle pollution, when we breathe it in, those particles get in our lungs and God designed our lungs such that we're able to clear things. We have these little fibers that help to clear all of these things out. If you happen to have a pneumonia, let's say your lungs are damaged or you have an infection, now you have more inflammation because of all these particles. The ability for your body to clear that infection is limited. You're taking the antibiotics, but the bacteria have a stronghold because your body's not able to clear it. And therefore, even when you finish your antibiotics, the bacteria may still exist. And that's how bacteria develop resistance. It's overuse and overduration. And so when you look at this particle process, it makes good sense. Is it a direct causation? Probably not. But is it interrelated? I think absolutely. So what they are suggesting is that every 1% increase in air pollution can be linked to about a similar rise, about 1% plus or minus uh, in antibiotic resistance. I think that's probably more true with the lungs. Uh, and but what we know globally is when we look at this tuberculosis, again, a lung-borne illness, it can be systemic, but mostly in the lungs and pneumonia are the two that they're targeting. That makes the most sense. The number three issue as far as our our resistance is actually related to sexually transmitted diseases, things like gonorrhea and chlamydia. It's sad to say, but incredibly true. I don't think that one is being influenced because of the particulates in the air. But suffice it to say, uh, air quality matters, as does your ability for your body to clear its infections. Mm. We're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Brett Nix here in just a moment. Have you had a checkup lately? Um, How many steps are you taking every single day? And how many steps do we need to be taking every single day? What's your step count? We'll get back to that in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. 150 million people, 150 million people actively use one particular app every month in the United States of America. 
I want that to be the Faith Radio app. How about you? If you're wondering how you could be encouraged in your faith at any time, anywhere, well, I got good news for you. There's literally an app for that. You can listen to Faith Radio live, any show on demand, no matter where you are at any time of the day or night. Download the free Faith Radio app right now. It's super easy. Just text the word APP to 877-933-2484 and click the link. Let's connect faith to life. All right, are you walking with the Lord? How many steps are you taking every single day? We're talking with Dr. Brett Nix from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Um, All right, good doctor. Do I need to be taking 10,000 steps a day or... Is something less than that still good for my health? Well, I'll tell you what. I think the reality is is as long as you can put one foot in front of the other, life is going mm-hmm. to be good. The fascinating thing about this is, yes, everybody has this, hey, I've got 10,000-step counter. Maybe 8,000 is your magic number. Everybody has a number. But for the most time, uh, we haven't really known what those numbers meant. And so when you look at this study, this is a study out of Europe that looked at a, a composite of different studies to ask the simple question, uh, how many steps and what's the benefit? And interestingly enough, what they said is every level of step that you take, when you start getting over 2,000 to 4,000 to 6,000 and, and onward, there is a benefit. But what they identified was that at about 4,000 steps per day, your mortality from any cause, whether that be heart disease, whether that be stroke, whether that be anything going on, that mortality starts to drop at 4,000 steps per day. Now, they, they also looked at it specifically with heart disease, and they said, you know what? The drop actually begins even early at 2,300 steps per day. Now, what we have to recognize is most of the time, if somebody is actively pursuing a step count, they're saying, hey, I need to get 4,000, I need to get 8,000. Typically, they're also encouraging and engaging in healthy life choices because they're dedicating time to being outside. They're dedicating time to these steps. Uh, and many times other aspects of healthy living follow. And so I think it really the, the amazing thing is, is that really for every thousand steps you take per day, you'll start to see uh, a significant reduction in all-cause mortality. What does that mean? A simple step forward allows you to live a healthier and longer life. Uh, that's going to be different for every person. That number may be different because God created us differently with a different genetic code. And that genetic code determines really where our health comes from. But the steps definitely move us in the right direction. That's so good. Um, all right. A, a simple step forward helps you live a healthier, longer life. And um, and every additional thousand steps you take, um, yeah, I mean, the the increase in your longevity is actually, like, significant. It's, it's pretty incredible. Um, nobody really wants to talk about this next thing, but, uh, you know, you're a doctor, so you're used to talking with us about all kinds of things we don't want to talk about. What would, well, we should probably at some point have a conversation. What are all the things our doctor wants to talk with us about that we don't want to talk about? Well, this would be one. Colon cancer and colon cancer testing. What, what do we need to know here? Well, what's interesting, uh, diet has a lot to do with colon cancer. And if you look at our typical Western diet, high in saturated fats, high in sugars and salts, uh, and maybe not necessarily higher in fiber, has led to, as most of us have seen in the news, a higher incidence of younger colon cancer. We see this in some celebrities, and it makes media, and we follow this process. And because of that, we've we've moved to earlier screening processes such that some, especially if those who have risks, are getting colonoscopies in their 40s rather than their 50s. You know, I'm in my 50s. I had my colonoscopy. And while most people think, you know, this is a uh, an event that's, you know, traumatizing. 
if it's done well, you remember nothing. Uh, I remember nothing other than the conversation walking in and then uh, laying down in a bed afterwards and somebody trying to tell me a joke that I didn't quite understand. All that to be said, uh, this is a process that allows us to identify uh, cancers that, again, can be identified from a polyp formation or otherwise before they, they become metastasized such that it puts your, your life at risk. What's fascinating is beyond just the standard colonoscopy, we started to have these small ones where they, they look at capsules. You swallow something, it goes through. It helps to identify certain cells in your body. There's some where you just get a stool specimen and it looks at the blood. If, is there blood, yes or no, in your stool that you can't see uh, to help screen even at a different basis? Well, there's a new study that just came out that said, hey, maybe there's a way of modifying bacteria such that just like when you drink yogurt, there's live culture in yogurt, if you're drinking a smoothie or otherwise, that you could take something like that, that the bacteria have been identified and, and moved toward ones that help to identify the types of cancers that trigger around polyp formation or otherwise and actually eradicate them. Uh, it would be fascinating if that were to work. It's a study that's being done in parallel between the University of California, San Diego and a university in um, Australia. And they're in the early stages of looking at it from a mice perspective. Uh, but what they're looking at is to say, hey, you know what, if we have this concept such that you can put something in as a yogurt, as a bacterium that can go in, identify cells that are at risk, precancerous cells, and go in and help to either modify or eliminate them without having to even go in with a colonoscopy. Think about what that might be as far as the diagnostic ability and the prevention capacity for individuals. I think this is, again, something that we're going to see more and more of these creative, uh, more focused areas of uh, intervention and prevention within healthcare, and this is just another example. So very near the future, maybe 10 years from now or less, instead of having to go ahead and do your, your pre-treatment and spend the night sitting near your toilet, instead you might just drink some yogurt and go on with your day. Mm. Well, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I have, um, you know me, I always have a list. Um, and so I'm putting um, a few things on your radar for the next time we talk. Is that okay? Of course. Kombucha tea. I need to know more about mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, and then I'm gonna um, I'm gonna cover at some point just some comments about the physical effects of grief because we have a lot of folks um, grieving um, and I think that sometimes we need to talk about the physical um, the physical effects of grief. It's not all spiritual and emotional. Um, there's a lot of physical effects as well. So I'm just putting that Absolutely. on your radar for the next time we talk. Yeah. Does that sound good? That sounds great. Those are those are very real topics. The latter of the two, especially. Uh, and as you said before, can have detrimental effects on your health. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't I didn't know that, like, you have a better chance of having a negative cardiac event um, within six weeks of of experiencing a, a loss. Like, I didn't know that. Like, there's just all kinds yeah. of things that that I'm learning. So, um, yeah, yeah. The broken Thank heart you. syndrome is real. We see that. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So thank you um, so much, Brett, as always. You guys can find um, Brett at the Christian Medical and Dental Association. You can also find him at Brett Nix, MD. Um, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Okay, um, here, we're going to cover some of the physical effects of grief. So um, we've been talking about grieving with those who grieve today. Who do you know who is that is grieving? Um, I have a friend at church, Stephanie. Uh, whose brother just died yesterday, grieving with her, grieving with my brother, Paul Perot, whose brother has died, services uh, the end of this week. Um, love him, bless him. He's 
obviously right here with us right now. We grieve with him. Um, grieving with uh, my husband, Jim, who had a friend, Steve Ashley, who succumbed earlier this week to all of the ravages of depression and um, substance abuse. Grieving with the people of Maui, grieving with the people of Plum, Pennsylvania, grieving with um, people in my own community who dealing with a fatal accident on the interstate near where we live. I mean, the list is long, right? Um, grieving with those of you who've been texting in just uh, during this this just during this hour. Grieving with Becky. Grieving with uh, with Marianne. Grieving with Jen. On and on and on and on and on. Um, we're grieving with those who grieve. So there are physical effects of grief. And so if you're experiencing pain in your chest or other parts of your body, it might be a symptom of grief. If you are having a hard time sleeping, insomnia, struggling to fall asleep, struggling to stay asleep, um, it, it might be grief. If you're having all kinds of digestive issues, the range here is really long, it might be grief-related. If you're suffering physical illness, um, grief can impact your immune system. It can make you more susceptible to disease. Um, If you are having um, heart palpitations and heart symptoms, you need to know that cardiac events are far more likely in the six weeks following a loss than at any other time in our lives. So take care of yourself, even as you are grieving with those who grieve. Um, emotional health, spiritual health, physical health. Might seem strange to say that you know taking care of your physical body is um, is an act of good stewardship. It's an act of faith. It's an act of spiritual discipline. Stay hydrated. Eat simple, nutritious foods. Rest genuinely. Rest. Move. Get those steps in. And accept support. Um, you know, I, I think that people will, we, we will, we'll offer, we'll offer help to those who are grieving. But if you reject it, um, it's then it's really hard to help. So say yes. Somebody offers a meal, say yes. Somebody offers to visit, say yes. Somebody offers to do something, have a list of things that need doing. Um, it could be clean your bathroom. Trust me when I tell you, those of us for whom uh, our love language is an act of service, if you give us something that needs to be done, we are happy to do it. Um, yeah, and get professional help. If you are thinking of harming yourself or you're making plans to end your life, I, I want you to get professional help. If you continue to experience physical symptoms more than a year after your loss, it's time to go to the doctor and get physical help. Um, in terms of spiritual health, you know, call your pastor, reach out, um, call 988 or text 988. Um, if you need immediate counsel in your grief, please do not let grief overwhelm you. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Karen Ellis is back with us today. You can visit with her online. Check out what she's thinking about and writing about at KarenAngelaEllis.com. You got to put the Angela in the middle.
Karen, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. <laughs> good morning, Carmen. It's good to be with you this morning. It's so good to um, it's so good to talk with you again. I wanted mm. to start by simply saying shalom. Shalom. <laughs> mm-hmm. You um, that is your walk off. Um, that is um, your signature at the at the end of a message. Um, mm. Some of us, um, you know, have like a a blessing walk off or a grace be with you walk off. You have a shalom walk off. I wonder why you want to leave us with shalom. You know, it's you you picked that up, I think, from a Substack article that I had done uh, not too long ago about um, just focusing on wisdom. I, I say that I'm in wisdom season right now because I have a book coming out, a devotional book on God's wisdom, not on mine, Carmen, because I don't have any divine wisdom apart from him. But um, the concept of the wholeness and the peace and the, uh, the, the world for which we were created and uh, the world that the church is um, tasked and privileged to hold forth to uh, a watching, uh, judgmental, hurting world, and also the world to which we're headed uh, is just really encompassed by the word shalom. It's the peace that we were created for. And so I, I'm, I'm, I'm longing for it. I'm grateful for how the Lord has um, uh, not just promised it, but fulfilled it and gives me glimpses of it daily. And I I guess I just want to see others uh, walk in the wholeness and the roundness of shalom, which is far more, far richer, far deeper than just our general concept of peace. It's just, it's wholeness in our relationships. It's wholeness in our being. It's union with Christ. It's communion with him. Um, it's, It's being applied in the way and purposes and ways that we were made to be. Um, so that's, 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 it's such a small word <laughs> with such a big, round, complete meaning. I love it. I know. And I received it as a gift at the end of the message. I was like, <laughs> I feel so blessed. I feel like oh. I've been given a gift and issued an invitation um, mm. and, and offered a hope in one word at the, at the end of reading something. And that is, um, I have to tell you, that's a, uh, that's really good. And so thank you. Thank <laughs> oh, you for thank that. You. Um, I want to talk about perseverance. Um, mm. This is a word that you you use, you offer up, you lift up. So um, what what does it mean to be persevering as the people of God? What does it look like? What are some stories related to that? Yeah, well, there's the concept of the perseverance of the saints, you know, that uh, that truth that we are kept by one who keeps his promises and that, uh, that he has he made an implicit promise to Adam and woman in the garden just by virtue of creating this little family, this little people for himself. And uh, even though they couldn't keep their end of the bargain, we know that's how we all got here uh, into this broken, fallen world. He promised by himself that he was going to uh, to keep a people uh, that would worship him in spirit and in truth. And so he keeps that promise all the way from Genesis to Revelation and that he will see his people through, the people he has called to himself, the people who are set apart as his. So there's that whole concept of the perseverance of the saints. But then um, I've been, a lot of my research is into the area of uh, Christian endurance studies which is our responsibility, what we're to be doing, not out of uh, any ability of our own to keep ourselves, but out of doxological thanksgiving 
and obedience and love for the one who has called us. Uh, the things that the church has done is doing to persevere uh, and endure through challenging circumstances. And that can be everything from you were just talking about loss and grief. Uh, but specifically, my area of research is focused around um, Christian endurance under anti-Christian hostility. Um, that can range everything from marginalization to discrimination to resentment to uh, outright persecution. And I've been working with the um, underground churches for as, a, as an advocate uh, for their support and uh, sharing their stories for 30 years now. And I've started in the last 10 to delve into the theology and the uh, practices and the habits um, that um, the church has always used to endure and still uses today. So that's a little bit about what perseverance and endurance uh, have meant to me. I've sort of thrown my whole weight behind our um, educational center that focuses on original theological spade work around the concept of Christian endurance under hostility. And so we're training students in seminary uh, how to how to be faithful, how, what, what, how the church has remained faithful uh, throughout history. What are the things that, as the old saints used to say, how I got over, <laughs> how mm. I got over, how, how mm. I made it through uh, when everything in the world seemed uh, to be against the people of God and the people who claimed the name of Christ. What were the things that they did specifically that helped them help see them through to the end and help them leave, um, you know, nobody lives, Carmen, nobody lives the Christian life perfectly. The only person who did that was Jesus because he is the way, the truth, and the life. So, but there are Christians throughout history who've been closer um, to leaving less toxic waste behind, shall we say, <laughs> and closer to faithfulness. And so mm. uh, my question has always been, how do I be more like those saints? And uh, uh, we, we <laughs> I, I know that you know we live in an age where there's been a hyper-focus in the last 20 years on all the places where the church has gotten it wrong. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of ink spilled on those places and um, the the uh, the errors of the church, the missteps, the toxic waste they left behind. But I started to ask the question, what does it look like when we focus on the places where the church got it closer to right? Not perfect, but closer to right and closer to looking like the life of Jesus and um, including um, his sufferings, his sufferings and his victories. We're talking with Karen Ellis. You can find what she's talking about at um, the Edmondson Center, Edmondson, E-D-M-I-S-T-O-N, <laughs> center.org. Um, and I can shoot you that link if you, uh, if you want it. You can text me, 877-933-2484. Um, 30 years, you've been, you've been in this conversation for 30 years with Brothers and Sisters in Christ um, who we would describe as um, persecuted, you would describe them as persevering. Um, talk mm -hmm. with us about maybe your introduction to that conversation, how you became exposed to the world of the persecuted or the persevering church. Oh, well, okay. So uh, I was just out of graduate school uh, the first time, and uh, I had the privilege of traveling to Eastern Europe just after the Iron Curtain had fell had fallen. And um, the, I, I was in, into my, I was meeting people who were, it was like, it was like, they were like Esther. It was the, 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 the people of God were sort of rediscovering who they were and the, and, and, you know, having religious freedom all of suddenly, 
And, you know, all of a sudden the rules had changed and, you know, they were able to worship freely, uh, publicly, and it's just so many new freedoms. And so I was, I had a, I had a front row seat and I wish that at that young age, I knew what I really knew what I was looking at. I would have, <laughs> but I appreciate it so much now because into my hands fell um, the book Tortured for Christ, which mm. is written by uh, Richard Wormbrand. Uh, who was a Romanian pastor who suffered as an ethnic Jew under the Nazis, but then he also suffered as a Christian under the communists, under the Soviet Union. And so I'm reading this book and, you know, all my friends, this is like the, you know, early 90s, all my friends are reading Heinz Feet on High Places and and I'm reading Tortured for Christ. And I'm really impressed with um, these people, this community of people, who seem to be global, globally connected, having a common experience, uh, and it mirrors the New Testament reality. So, you know, I'm reading, I'm really reading the Bible for the first time. I'm being exposed to these stories for the first time. And that piqued my interest. Uh, and really, the Lord has had those stories, those organizations um, follow me more than me pursuing them because I once mm. I knew about the the concept of endurance under hostility, uh, I, I couldn't get away from it. And so I started, you know, just poking my head into organizations and saying, hey, how can I help? I have this set of skills and you know, do you need anything? And and uh the Lord just made some really great lasting relationships. Um and I've developed some new ones in the last 10 years of folks who are just really on the uh, on the pulse of um, new conversations that are happening globally. And um, it's, it's, it's just always been, Carmen, in addition to my local church, the global persevering church has always been my home since I was a baby, baby Christian. And, um, and so, yeah, so I delight in connecting uh, the local church uh, with the, the, the global church in those instances. And, and we're starting to learn from each other now, which is a beautiful thing. It's gone, it seems like the conversation in 30 years has gone beyond um, just sharing testimonies and doing advocacy and raising support. It's gone to, hey, how are you doing what you're doing in your context? What does life mm -hmm. look like for you in your context? What are the driving forces? What are the what are the ways in which your community continues to minister to the saints and witness to the to the, the community that hates them? Um, and, and what does that look like over here? What does that look like, you know, in, in a place as large as as India? You know, the conversation changes even from province to province. So, you know, it's fascinating to me to watch these stories unfold with these particular distinctives, but yet this underlying thread that's the same, not just around the world, but throughout history. It feels uh, like the New Testament. That's one of the things that uh, we've heard Karen say in our conversation right now. This is a significant moment in church history. We're going to continue talking with Karen Ellis here about um, what what she witnesses, what she experiences, what she knows, the window she has into um, the reality of the persecuted, persevering church around the world. Um, and, and I want you to be thinking about, you know, not only how you're praying for, but your level of interest in actually being connected with the body of Christ around the world. Um, as it endures in this generation. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. 
As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. We're talking with Karen Ellis um, about a range of topics today. We're going to um, pivot here in our conversation from talking um, specifically about her experiences with and observations of the persecuted or persevering church around the world um, and her own experience of that in local church to a conversation about wisdom. And the reason we're doing this is because Karen's got a book coming out in just a few weeks, Wisdom's Call, A Hundred Meditations for a Life in Christ. And let me just say in advance, Karen, I hope you'll come back and talk with us um, specifically about the book um, after it's released. Would you Would you be willing to do that? Oh, Carmen, I'd be delighted to chat with Good. you about it. Mm-hmm. Good. I mean, I want to talk about it today, um, you know, and and invite people um, invite people into it. What what do what do these two things have to do with each other? Like rates? Because this is I mean, it, there's no way that what you've been immersed in for 30 years hasn't influenced and isn't being walked out in in these hundred meditations for a life in Christ. So can you connect the point, connect the dots for us there? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, God never works in a vacuum. His, his, his stuff is all, always interconnected. And um, I love that about him. It's such a grace in how he teaches us and how he helps us understand the Bible. So, all right, let's 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 start with Cain and Abel. Let's start with um, just outside of Eden. Uh, there's And Paul captures the Cain and Abel dynamic, if you want to call it that. Um, you know, the hostility that Cain has towards Abel because, uh, you know, simply, one worships rightly, the other doesn't. Why does Cain have to kill Abel, though? I mean, he gets gets an out. He gets an opportunity to make a wise choice, a choice unto life, but he makes a choice unto death out of hostility towards his brother because his brother holds out an an, an indictment against him, a reminder that he has uh, worshipped, he's approached Yahweh on the basis of his own understanding. And so you take that into, I mean, that Paul tells us there's two positions. You're either dead in Adam or you're alive in Christ. Well, I was reading through Proverbs and I became fascinated at the same time with the, the, the binary understanding of the house of wisdom and the house of folly. One is a house of life. The other is a house of death and destruction. Now, the culture tells us we want to think of uh, folly as silliness, you know, a... Um, uh, you know, court jester with my own little head, you know, on a stick and, you know, and jumping around entertaining. But actually, folly is not just silly. Folly is death. Folly is destruction. Folly is, um, you know, you look at the, the how the, the house of folly is described. The guests are the dead. They're people who are walking and they don't know that they're dying. Uh, I think about them like, you know, every zombie movie you've ever seen. They're still moving but they're decaying and dying inside. And everything about folly's house is death. And yet everything about wisdom's house is life. 
And so what I've been doing for the last, um, I guess the last 20, 10 years, maybe, um, trying to just understand my life, trying to understand the Bible, trying to understand the choices that people made in Scripture and that the choices that we have in front of us today, they really do boil down to the choices of death and the choices of life. And so I just used, I just sort of did a hundred meditations of thinking about those places in scripture where everybody was faced with an ethical choice. And it really was do this and live, do this and die. And so I just teased out a few, a few meditations to think about and uh, came up with uh, Wisdom's Call. At, um, Moody was kind enough to take a chapter that I had done in a previous book called Beyond the Rolls and say, we think there's a book in here. And so mm. we joined forces and got together. And, and I said, they said, sure enough, they were, <laughs> we, we teased this whole chapter out into a book. And so it was a delight. It was hard because I was dealing with my own folly. Folly mm. leaves you with a lot of regret. Um, I, when I say, when I say I wrote the book in the foreword, I say that I wrote the book out of frustration and sadness and regret and just being exhausted and tired of hurting people with my own foolish choices. Because mm. just like God doesn't create in a vacuum, we never sin in a vacuum. We take people with us, right? And so, um, I, I wanted to, I, I wanted to be wise. I still want to be a wise person, despite my default position, which is always drawn towards folly. I want to live more and more in wisdom's house, and I want to be grieved when I fall into folly's house, which means as long as I stay grieved about it and I run back and repent, I'm living. <laughs> I know that I belong to wisdom's house because folly's house doesn't fit me anymore. It doesn't feel right, even though I like it in the moment. It's like, wait a minute, this isn't the place for which I was made. And so that's how I came up with the the hundred meditations. I, I hope you enjoy them. I hope you you know I'll send you a copy. And um, they're um, they they've been a blessing to me. I've been voicing the audio book for them, and um, it's been oh, a blessing like to me to just kind of redo re 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 um, reexamine them and just see how God's wisdom is is such an. It's not just a. It's not just a way to live. It's not just moralism. It is life itself that brings more life. He is the life generating God. And oh, the more I dwell on him, the more I want to follow him well. Amen. Amen. Um, Karen, thank you so very much. Uh, you guys, this is K.A. Ellis, Karen Angela Ellis dot com. She's going to be back to talk with us about Wisdom's Call, 100 Meditations for a Life in Christ. It's going to drop on September the 5th if you're out there looking for it now. Um, and today, I would just like to remind you of some of the things that she said about the persevering church and have you be praying for perseverance um, in your own life and for our brothers and sisters in Christ persevering around the globe today. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I just love her. Don't you just love her? Don't you want to like I don't know. We're going we're gonna to hound her. We're going to see if we can get her to come on and talk with us on a regular basis. She's just precious. I just love her. I love her spirit. I love the things that God is speaking to her and through her um, and the way that she walks so faithfully with him um, 
in in her local church life and with global Christians and oh, just love it. Love it, love it, love it. Love you too. Thank you so much for this time that we have spent together today. It is a gift and I treasure it. Um, visit us online at myfaithradio.com. If you've never gotten a welcome packet, let us send you one. We'd like to say hi and have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.